All American Boys, Thursday, Rashad. My mother did eventually show up with the lawyer she found Wednesday evening, but by the time she got there, I was wiped, maybe from getting up so early talking with Dad, or maybe from actually talking with Dad, or maybe from talking with Mrs. Fitzgerald, or maybe from all of it. I was beat. I tried to rally up the energy because this attorney, a young woman named Maya Whitmire, was definitely there to talk business or law or whatever, but I just couldn't. I was so sick of talking about it. Son, can you at least just tell her the story beginning to end, my mother requested. And of course, I did. Again. I rambled off every detail just like I had done with my parents, my brother, and my friends. Miss Whitmire took notes in crazy fast writing and asked if the officer ever even read me my rights. The right to remain silent, the right to blah blah blah. Which, once I thought about it, I realized he hadn't. He just skipped to the part about me not having the right to be in that store. She then explained that this should be open and shut, which was lawyer talk for easy. But we all knew that it wasn't that simple. These types of cases were never easy. We had all seen cops get away with far worse, so why would this be any different? I mean, I wasn't killed. True, I hadn't even touched the cop. The video footage showed it all. I even had a witness. Still, there was no such thing as open and shut in cases like these, but I appreciated the lawyer's confidence. I guess somebody had to be hopeful. There were so many questions I had for the lawyer, like why exactly she felt like this was going to be open and shut, but honestly, I was just too exhausted to even get into it. Before drifting back to sleep, I made sure to give my mother Miss Lansing's card. I'd barely glanced at it when she gave it to me, but before I handed it to my mom, I checked it out. Katie Lansing, archivist, Springfield Department of Records and Information Services. Under her name and title was her phone number and email. Seemed like another office job to me. Anything that said Department of just meant the job came with a cubicle and benefits. At least that's what Spoonie always said. I handed the card to my mother. This is the lady who was in the store. She was here today, I said. Here? My mother asked, nearly leaping out of her seat. The lawyer did the exact same thing. Yeah, she came by to see me. She told me to tell you that she would testify. My mother stared at the card, a huge smile coming across her face, then handed it to the lawyer, who scanned it, then nodded and murmured, This is good. This is good. And that was good night for me. Thursday morning, I was awakened by Dr. Barnes. He had come by to let me know that my vitals had been stable for 48 hours now. Clarissa had been keeping track, and I had been keeping up with my spirometering, and the internal bleeding had finally subsided. I just needed to stay put for a few more hours, and then he'd be discharging me. Well, once my parents got there. Best news ever. I was so ready to go. I took a shower, making sure I didn't get the bandage on my nose too wet, and I had to wash my torso lightly. Even the slightest pressure on my ribs still made me see white. But when I got out of the bathroom, I realized that the only clothes I had were the ones I had on when I got to the hospital. My mother hadn't brought me anything clean to wear besides fresh underwear. She brought eight pairs. Actual clothes seemed to slip her mind. And if she hadn't thought about it, I knew my father hadn't thought about it. And Spoonie, forget about it. I reached into the bottom drawer of the side table, which was also a dresser, and pulled out the plastic bag stuffed into it. I picked up the knot in the drawstring, damn it was tight, until the mouth of the bag finally opened. I pulled my clothes out. First my jeans, I gave them a shake and laid them on one of the chairs. They were filthy and there was a small hole in the left knee, the knee that hit the ground first. Next came my shirt, swatting it out of the tight ball it had been in for the previous five days, the wrinkles deep and seemingly permanent. There was blood up by the collar. I laid it on another chair. 
The jacket Spoonie gave me was in the closet. I opened that door, looked at the sleeve, ripped a good three inches in the shoulder seam. I didn't bother taking it out. No reason to yet. I felt exhausted again, so I sat on the edge of the bed in nothing but clean boxers and looked at my clothes all ragged and torn. My blood on the shirt, concrete dust dingying up the denim, clothes that I would probably never wear again. Hello? Clarissa's voice came from behind the door, just before she poked her head in like usual. I didn't flinch. It honestly didn't matter. Whoops, I'm sorry, she said, noticing that I wasn't dressed. It's cool, I replied, grabbing the gown. Come in. Clarissa came in as I snapped the gown shut. So, I hear you're leaving us, she said, pushing in the breakfast tray for the last time. That's what Dr. Barnes said. Good, Clarissa said. She twisted her hair up in a bun and checked my vitals, I guess just as a final precautionary measure. Would have sucked if she heard something weird in my heart, or if my temperature or blood pressure was high, and then I couldn't go home. Luckily, everything was fine. So what's the first thing you're going to do when you get out of here? Funny, I hadn't really thought about it. I just wanted to go home. I don't really know. I guess try to see my boys, put on some clean clothes, I said, smirking awkwardly. Clarissa glanced to the chairs where I had my dirty t-shirt and jeans spread out like some kind of strange art exhibit. Oh my. She put her hand over her mouth. You want me to put those back in the bag? No, I said. I got it. I grabbed the shirt and jeans as Clarissa held the bag open for me to dump them in. I didn't want her to have to touch that stuff. Then I tied the drawstring back in a knot and made the decision right then and there to put the bag in the trash. Well, I'm probably not going to see you, so you make sure you take care of yourself. Thanks for everything, really. I sat back on the bed as Clarissa gathered up her equipment. But before I go, I wanted to ask, did you ever finish that drawing you were working on? Yeah, I finished it yesterday. I slid my sketch pad off the dresser and handed it to her. Wow, Clarissa said, gazing at the paper, then glancing back at me. Rashad, this is incredible. You should be proud. Then she looked a little closer. Hey, this one has a face. Yeah. Why? Because, well, whoever's looking at this scene, you, me, I don't know, that lady Claudia James, my friends, my family, Mrs. Fitzgerald. Who? This lady I met. I said, anyway, all of us, looking at the scene, see the person who has the hand put through his chest, the dude with his heart torn out. It's impossible to ignore him. He has a face. He deserves a face. Clarissa looked from the drawing to me, then back to the drawing. Yeah, he does. My mom and dad showed up a few hours later. I had texted my mother, reminding her to bring me clean clothes, which she did. I also texted English, Shannon, and Carlos to let them know that I was finally on my way home. Hashtag Rashad is absent again today is what they all texted back, along with Thursday, 5.33 p.m. from Los. About time, I almost had to really steal Tiff, give her a shoulder to cry on. Thursday, 5.34 p.m. from Shannon. Dude, I'm so glad you're out. Shit is crazy. Guzzo got into it with Quinn at practice. You know Quinn? Thursday, 5.35 p.m. to Shannon. Who's Quinn? Thursday, 5.36 p.m. from Shannon. He's on the team. Mean jump shot? You might not know him, but Guzzo was boy, and they went at it over this whole thing. Thursday, 5.38 p.m. from Los. I'm coming over tonight around 8, soldier boy. No crying. I know how much you've missed me. LOL. Thursday, 5.39 p.m. from English. Dude, we gotta talk. School is intense. Everybody picked a side. Thursday, 5.41 p.m. to English. I know. Come through tonight. Los is coming. Bring Shan.
And before I knew it, I was leaving the hospital, wearing a sweatsuit, carrying nothing but my notepad. But before we left, I tore out the piece I'd drawn and set it on the food tray for Clarissa, just to thank her again. I wish I could have seen Mrs. Fitzgerald one more time, but the truth is, when it was finally time to go, I was ready to get the hell out of there. I didn't want to make any extra stops. Apparently, the lawyer my folks hired asked the media to give us some privacy, which was a good thing because we didn't have to dash from the hospital to the car through a mob of cameras and microphones. That would have been too much for me. Instead, it was just a few short, peaceful steps from the door to the car. I sat in the back seat as my dad drove through the city. Neither of my parents said much, which was weird. I had this strange feeling like they were uncomfortable around me, or around each other. Something was different, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I cracked the window, the fall crisp seeping in, the familiar static of air pushing through a tight space, through neighborhoods, down the crowded streets, first street, second street, third street, red light. My father put his blinker on, but there was no reason for him to turn. We lived straight ahead, but he made a left at third and went around the block, coming back out to Main Street at fifth, the whole time glancing at me weird through the rear view. But I knew what he was doing. He was dodging fourth street. He wanted to skip Jerry's, as if him not driving by it made it no longer exist, as if that's all it would take to help me forget. Maybe he was doing it for himself, but the way my parents were acting made it clear that this was something they had discussed. I decided not to bring it up, and instead just sat quietly until we got to the house, where I went straight in my room to be around all my things. All my faceless sketches taped to the wall above my tiny twin bed. But more importantly, I needed my computer so that I could scour the internet to try to catch up on my own life. You know how weird it is to hashtag yourself? To read posts and updates other people, most of whom you don't even know, make about you? It's strange, but I did it anyway. Hashtag Rashad is absent again today brought up hundreds, maybe a thousand posts. Some were just pictures of all these random places with that tag, just like Spoonie showed me. I knew where the first one started. At least, I thought I knew. But I had no idea where all the other ones came from. Other links connected to the hashtag were of the news clips. Turns out, I was only watching the local news channel. The hospital could only get five or six channels anyway. But I was being covered in all the newspapers and even on cable news channels. What the... This was insane. There were clips of panel discussions where preachers and community leaders sat around arguing for me, defending me. I mean, not just me, but, you know. And then there were some clips of people defending Galuzzo. Everyone saying the same things. He was just doing his job, and he's a good guy, and we don't know if that boy was stealing or not. And there were pictures of people holding up pieces of paper with the hashtag written on it. Some of them just said, absent again. There was even one of somebody in a t-shirt. I couldn't see the face, but written on the front of the shirt was, I'm marching, and then the back said, are you? Besides all this, the wildest part was seeing all the pictures of me snatched from websites and social media pages. Some of them were of me dressed in my usual everyday wear, jeans sagged just below the waist, t-shirts, sneakers, pictures of me throwing up the peace sign, some, the one Spoonie feared, of me flipping off the camera. Carlos and the fellas had been cropped out. These images would have nasty comments under them from people saying stuff like, looks like he'd rob a store, and if he'd pull his pants up, maybe he would have gotten away with the crime, lol. And, is that a gang sign? Other pictures were of me in my ROTC uniform. Of course, those had loads of comments like, does this look like a thug? And if he were white with this uniform on, would you still question him? Everything was a mess. The real world. The cyber world. All of it. I wanted to turn the computer off, but it was like seeing a car wreck. 
You keep looking, and I kept digging deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole, finding pictures and comments about my family, people saying that my father was a dirty cop and asking why everybody cared so much about me when my dad shot a kid for the same reason years ago. Oh, so just because Officer Galuzzo's white, everybody's mad now. What about Officer Butler? This kid's the son of a bad cop. Karma's a bitch. I have to admit, that one stung the most. Rage started to surge through me. But instead of shutting my computer down, I decided to try to look up Darnell Shackelford. I hated knowing what I now knew about my father. That he had done this to someone, and even if he didn't mean to, he ruined an innocent kid's life forever. All because of fear and assumption. And even though my father lived with the guilt, I now had to live with it too. So as I clicked on the first image link to pop up, as I stared at Darnell's high school senior picture, the arms of his wheelchair peeking into the camera too, I made it clear to myself that this protest, this whole thing, was also for him. English, Shannon, and Carlos got to my house around 8. My mother ordered mother's pizza for us and had Spoonie pick it up on his way in. We sat at the kitchen table waiting as patiently as possible for Ma to pick her slices before we dove in, tearing the cheesy triangles from the pie as if we had never eaten pizza before. So what's been going on? I said, picking off the pepperonis and eating them like chips. Seemed like a stupid question to ask, but up until that point, we'd all been sitting there listening to Carlos ramble on about how we thought Silky Wilkes really liked him. I know y'all didn't come over here just to let this dude talk about Latrice. Nah, it was for the free pizza, Shannon said with a smirk. Oh, really? From my mother, who was using a fork and knife to cut hers. Kidding, Mrs. Butler? Man, seriously, we just wanted to catch you up, English cut in. People have been on edge, even me. A few days ago, I got into it with that dude Quinn I was telling you about. He was kicking all that Paul was doing his job crap while you were laid up in the hospital with your ribs busted. I mean, it's wild. But then today, that same dude got into it with Guzzo at practice. Then afterward, the dude Quinn came up to me to say that we should just call this one play we have. It's like an isolation play for me. I had no idea what he was talking about. He agreed that we should just call it Rashad. What? Yep. Coach Carney named it Fist, but I called it Rashad in practice, and I'm going to call it that in the game, too. Quinn was with me. Are you sure that's a good idea? I asked, feeling really weird. Plus, I didn't want English to get benched for something like renaming a play after me. Dude, at this point, I don't care. It ain't like people ain't thinking about it anyway. It's on everybody's mind. Plus, Rashad is absent again today, caught on like wildfire, Shannon said. I looked at Carlos, who was trying to shove a whole slice in his mouth. What? He grunted. I know it was you, I said. And for the record, you should have did it in a way where the paint dripped, almost like vampire blood style. Carlos chewed and chewed and finally swallowed. I don't know what you're talking about. He smiled. That's a good idea. Spoonie shook his head, but not in the my little brother and his annoying friends way, in the proud way. So this protest, he said, getting down to business. It's tomorrow at 5.30, English said. We're starting at Jerry's and working our way down to the police station. Y'all are going to miss practice? I asked, concerned. Who cares, Shannon said, nodding to me. My boys, my brothers. You should know, Shad, that Tiffany's been working with Jill, and they've been planning the crap out of this thing. Her and Jill have been the main students organizing it from our school. But it ain't just our school, English explained quick. It's all kinds of people, other schools, folks in the neighborhood, different businesses. I called Pastor Johnson, and he said he'd round up some folks too, Ma added. I was cool with the pastor coming, but my mother being on board, that really got me. My father, well, I wasn't sure. He wasn't out there with us, was he? Nope. He was in his room, hiding. Spoonie leaned forward. Fellas, can I make a suggestion? When we get to the station, we should have a die-in. 
A what? My mother went bug-eyed, probably at the word die. A die-in. It's basically when you lie on the ground as a form of protest. Sort of like how the sit-ins were back in the day. But when you lie down, they can't push you over. They can't do anything to you, really, because you're already on the ground. They could kick you. My mother wasn't a fan of this idea. But they won't. Too many cameras. Spoonie looked at Ma. I promise. It'll be fine. She nodded nervously. But once we lie down, then what? I asked. Because the way I saw it, putting my body back on the sidewalk wasn't my idea of a protest. It was my idea of a nightmare. Then we make the most powerful statement we can. Spoonie dug in his bag and pulled out a stack of papers. We read every name on this list. Out loud.